This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Big Football Show, a podcast by The Athletic about Big Ten football. Today is Wednesday, October 6th, and this is Scott Docterman, and I write about Iowa. Today, I'm, I'm joined by Penn State beat writer Audrey Snyder, and we break down a top five matchup pending the teams we cover against one another. Audrey, it doesn't get much bigger than this, and uh, we are, I'm thrilled to be joined by you today, and what's kind of the mood in the, in the, in the tempo in uh, Happy Valley right now? You know, Scott, you said it was Wednesday, and I had to do a double take, <laughs> because it's just that kind of week, you know, it's, uh, when you're covering a game like this, everything's busier than usual, um, so yeah, it is Wednesday, I'm, I'm glad we clarified that, because I was unsure. Um, we heard from James Franklin on Tuesday, and, and I think that the storyline for Penn State this week, I mean, obviously it's the big game, it's all of that, uh, but it's really about this run game for the Nittany Lions, and we saw them getting going a little bit last week against Indiana, but they were not very good in third and short, Scott. That, to me, is a problem area heading into Saturday, um, and we're going to certainly be asking about that this week, and top running back Noah Kane has not looked as good as he has in the past. Um, and you might remember, Scott, Kane's breakout game came two years ago as a freshman at Kinnick Stadium. Yes, it did. And uh, that was that was an interesting fourth quarter for Iowa because its middle linebacker, Christian Welch, who now plays for the Baltimore Ravens, had a stinger in that game, and they had to replace him with a freshman. And uh, one change right there really enabled Penn State to close out the game. It, and it was what seventeen to twelve. I think the final score was. And Scott, you your your memory is way better than mine. Um, <laughs> what there was a controversial call in that game because I remember I yes. was like the pool reporter and trying to track down an official while this game's happening. I don't remember why though. Uh, I believe it was Pat Fryermuth scored, and mm-hmm. then uh, but then a re- replay of reverse reversed it and put it at the one yard line and. I can't remember. I think Penn State had to kick a field goal out of that, and it was. It seemed to me that he scored. I think everybody thought he scored a touchdown, but uh, it was not. It was replayed and it was reversed, and so I think that was the the controversy out of that game. Of course, it didn't affect the outcome, but certainly in the middle of the Could game, have, yeah. there were a lot of people who were pretty uh, freaked about that, and understandably so. Um, but uh, you know. This is an interesting series because I just saw, you know, Penn State hasn't been in a top five matchup since playing Arizona in 1999, mm-hmm. which kind of surprised me. I believe me. the Pigskin Classic, right? Really? That's, yeah. I believe that's what Matt Brown's been dubbing it, and I trust him on all things Penn State history. So. Yeah, I would too on just about everything history. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the I guess it surprised me more that Arizona was in the top five than, than <laughs> Penn State played in a top five game in 1999. And, and Iowa's had a few of its own um, that's that's had two since then, one in the Orange Bowl in 2002, well, slash three mm-hmm. against USC. Um, you know, both teams were pretty good that year. And then uh, the four versus five game uh, against Michigan State in the, Big Ten, in the Big Ten Championship in 2015. But this is different. You know, it's a regular season Big Ten game. And um, I think a lot of people here are comparing it to, a 1985 clash, number one Iowa versus number two Michigan. But, uh, you know, what, what's kind of the context? I mean, how are 
Penn State people viewing this matchup as far as big game mm-hmm. designation? It's huge. And I think both you and I, like before the season, we would have agreed like, hey, this is going to be a good game. It's going to be an interesting game just because of the, the history between these two teams, which you so wonderfully outlined mm-hmm. on The Athletic for us already this week, that it's become this this very organic very good, entertaining rivalry without people cramming a trophy down our throats yeah. and talking about how, how they need to hate each other and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but I didn't think it was going to be this big of a game. Yeah. I mean, I, I did not think that Penn State would be a top five team after, you know, starting last year 0-5 and now they're 5-0 they're and and you're just like, oh my gosh, what happened? Um, but Scott, I guess kind of the ramifications here at are we maybe seeing a preview of the Big Ten title game Saturday in Kinnick Stadium? Like, there's still a ways to go. And I think the way Ohio State's kind of picking up steam right now, I mean, the rest of Penn State's schedule, it's been brutal so far in terms of difficulty with mm-hmm. going into Camp Randall to open the year and then mm-hmm. playing Auburn uh, for the whiteout game. But you still got to look at who they have to play. And right. just this month, I mean, they close out uh, Halloween weekend in Columbus. You know, mm-hmm. and then you got Michigan in November. You got Michigan State to close out the year. Um, and, of course, you got Rutgers and Maryland in there, too, for whatever good reason. But, yeah, I, I just wonder if, I mean, obviously the game's huge, the magnitude's important, but if Penn State loses this game, what does it mean in the context of the mm-hmm. college football playoff, in the context of the Big Ten, um, and whether or not Ohio State has maybe left that door open in the East just a crack? Heck, who knows? Maybe Michigan's in that conversation, too. Yeah, right now they are. We'll see what happens uh, in the coming weeks. But I I will say this, that I think that this game is equally important to both teams, but for two completely different reasons. I think you look at Iowa's schedule, and from here on out, I mean, Wisconsin clearly is not the team we expected Wisconsin to be. uh, And that's really the one... You know, and, and maybe Nebraska, which has started to play better, maybe that one is you know a good game as well. But there aren't any ranked opponents, let's say, on Iowa's schedule over the final six games. So in order for Iowa to stay in CFP consideration, I think they need this game uh, because if they lose to uh, you know Penn State, then people are going to start going, okay, who did they beat? Well, Indiana's not as good as people thought. Iowa State's already lost in the Big Twelve. I do think they're pretty good in ranking, but. But then the rest of the way, well, they didn't beat anybody with uh, that's ranked. And even if they get in the Big Ten championship game and win, um, that may not vault them past a Cincinnati or an Oklahoma or a second SEC team. So I think it's it, for the CFP part of things for Iowa, this is vital. Now, on the flip side, I think for Penn State, it's about the Big Ten title, which, of course, enables them to get to the fast track to the the CFP because, as you you said, um, they still have to play uh, Ohio State, Michigan. Michigan State losing at Iowa would remove any kind of mulligan, any kind of accident because if there's, say, a three-way tie or even a two-way tie and they don't win the tiebreaker, say, with Ohio State, and Ohio State goes on to Indianapolis and wins, Penn State can still make the case, look, we only lost to Ohio State by four points or seven points or whatever. We deserve that second playoff spot. Um, but if you're 10-2, and two, you don't. You're, you're done with that. So I think that's really, to me, what's, what's at stake is um, big picture for both teams. Equally important, but not the same. And then they're not in the same division, um, whether that matters or not. I don't know, but. <laughs> Actually, J- James Franklin was asked about that this week oh, yeah. um, about the divisions. And 
he said, you know, uh, historically over time, you know, I think it might have, it might have either been you or somebody wrote this summer about yeah. it. I think it might have been you yeah. to think about this, about um, kind of how the division breakdown has worked out over time. Uh, but James kind of had a little bit, bit of a rebuttal to that, Scott, and kind of was like, well, I mean, historically, certain teams are clearly better than others and that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it still comes back to this idea of divisions and it's always going to be for Penn State, you've got to beat Ohio State and that's going to, you know, and then this year, maybe it's, maybe Ohio State showing some human-like tendencies. Yeah. Maybe they're just starting to, you know, click things into gear right now. Um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting because he did, he did mention that, uh, which of course he mentioned it in the summer as well. And mm-hmm. I mean, division talk isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon, but yeah, here we are. it's you know, Penn State's been the lar- the has the loudest voice against divisional play and than anybody, and and it's it's partly because of the roadblock that they have. They look at the West and think of it as an easier path, at least to get to Indianapolis. And um, you know, over time, it's you know, this year is a little bit different. It's a little skewed because Wisconsin's not playing very well. But it was I, I looked it over when they split geographically. It's been sixty six sixty East over West, which is pretty close. Um, you know, but Ohio State's what skews it <laughs> the whole yeah. way. Right? Oh, absolutely. You know, they're in a league of their own and everybody. And then there's like a second tier of Penn State, you know, Michigan, except for last year and Wisconsin and Iowa are kind of in that next tier. And then it kind of filters from there. Um, but I think when we get next year, the, the schedule will change, but the teams on it won't. But in 2023, that's when things are going to probably change. And it's probably going to go to an eight game uh, season, uh, Big Ten season. There, you know, I've discussed it, but there's a lot of talk that it's going to go to maybe three um, permanent opponents, and then you cycle through everybody else two years on, two years off. That might create a mess for Indianapolis, but <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> a couple of times I'm sure you're going to get some seven and one teams that tie and didn't play, and then you're like, okay, what's the tiebreaker here? But you know, so you know, it's interesting because. You look at Ohio State, they've lost four games in the Big Ten since they were split in 2014. And the two biggest ones were to the West teams, um, Purdue and, and Iowa. And then, of course, they lost by that block field goal, Penn State. Penn State, 16. yeah, the scoop and score, yeah. And then uh, Michigan State the year before in a field goal um, on the last play of the game. So they, they've, they've all been memorable because that didn't happen very often. But uh, I, I do but think Scott, you you must be memorable because James Franklin pointed you out, or po- not you, but pointed that stat out. So I think that means he's reading your work, Scott. <laughs> well, that's good to know. But uh, <laughs> you know he, uh, I, you know he, he, he's right in that that Penn State has an earlier um, blockage than, than the mm-hmm. people in the West, and that's true. Uh, but the problem is that the West has. A blockage too, and that's Ohio State. That's one four straight, and and uh, I still think if they get it rolling, they're a tough team to stop. They just have that offense that yeah. you're going to have to turn them over a lot and frustrate them, which I know the team I cover can do. I was gonna say that's a turnover city there. Yeah, plus twelve leading the country in that, and sixteen. Penn State's away. plus six. Right, Penn State's uh-huh. doing a great job of that too. Uh, but then again, I look at Iowa offensively and it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's gridlock as always, but, um, can they I believe as, as James Franklin put it, it's play action, play action, play action. And that's what Penn state's prepared for this week. Um, but, but I do think Scott, I mean, that's the Franklin didn't shy away from talking about it on Tuesday. The fact that 
Yeah, Iowa's defense is really good, but the thing that they're doing exceptionally well are the takeaways. And that's kind of, I mean, it's the numbers are jarring when you see it. I mean, because for Penn State, it was okay, you were, you were minus eight last year in the turnover margin, you're plus six year, this year. They've been doing a great job with it. But then you look at Iowa and you're like, how in the world, like, how is this even possible? Mm-hmm. You know, but that to me is the thing that, Again, you go back to, to Sean Clifford in the storyline all offseason was, well, is he going to be turnover prone again? And he's done a really nice job of controlling the ball. Um, he's been probably about as, as much improved as, as one could realistically hope or expect. But you just you wonder if, if that is going to be the turning point uh, Saturday afternoon. Oh, you're right. And the one thing I you know, in trying to examine this, because a lot of people are going, and, and myself, I, at times you're like, mm-hmm. this is unsustainable. You just can't rely yeah. on seven turnovers in a road <laughs> game the way that happened last week. And that's true. You're not going to get most people yeah. going to do that. Uh, but at the same time, the majority, almost all of these turnovers have been forced turnovers. They've been based on good reads, on the way they've contacted the player with the ball. Uh, there have been a couple, you know, there's been one where the, the there's a bad mesh point against, I think it was Kent, uh, Colorado State. Another where um, there was a tipped ball against Indiana that they picked off in the air. But a lot of them have been read well, positioned well, forced by the defensive line, you know, into interceptions. And and then they have a very skilled secondary. And, and since 2017, they have 76 interceptions, which is by far the most in the country. And they've had, you know, and their recruits aren't four or five star guys. I mean, they, but they are elite level players, the All-American caliber players because of the way that they've been coached. And, and so but we can't tell Ari Wasserman that, Scott. Uh-huh. We, we better hope he's not listening. Iowa, you know, if you want, if I want to channel my inner James Franklin, I would say I would use <laughs> Iowa as the rebuttal, Wisconsin to an extent too, on most cases, but on the five star type thing, because when they do get them, they they're pretty good, but they don't get them very often. But they still, uh, you know, from 2012 to 2018, they still had four of the defensive backs of the year, and only one of them had a Power Five offer, and that was to play running back. That was Desmond King. So, you know, they, they've done That's some wild. good work. You know, two of them are two stars. Micah Hyde's still in the NFL as a yeah, good player. Yeah, familiar name there, Scott. Yeah, um, yeah. Josh Jackson um, yeah, and um, Imani Hooker. So, you know, they've had some good players there, and, and, and that's just continuing. I don't know if that any of these five starting defensive backs are as good as they are, but they're all veteran. They have all have at least three years of starting experience, and they really know where to go. And, and last year they caused some problems for Penn State too, which I think that was kind of the tail end of the Penn State um, rough. The slide. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the, the 0-5 slide. That was that was wild looking back because I remember listening to you and and on your podcast with Matt Brown and and it was like this is it, it, you, there was nothing you could say about it at that point it was like this this team's horrible and then here we are nine straight wins for Penn State since then <laughs> turned it around I mean what's it's, kind of been the secret or the what's yeah I mean I they're they're proving you know week in and week out that last year was the anomaly which kind of all off season, that was their hope, right? It was a, this is, this was just a COVID year. It was really weird. Um, that type of thing. But to me, it's, it's two things. And the interesting part about it is that it's both sides of the ball are a heck of a lot better. Um, and I'll start with the Penn state defense and the fact that they had Scott, which is pretty insane. They only had four interceptions all of last year which again, nine game season, but still, Mm -hmm. um, they surpassed that mark by like week two or week three this year. 
And so they're creating a lot of takeaways. Um, they're also tackling. I mean, it was the tackling early on last season was really, really bad. I mean, it mm-hmm. got to the point where um, defensive coordinator Brent Pry was like, "Yeah, th- this is like to the point where it was almost embarrassing." I mean, it, w- it was that that shoddy. But they've been much improved this year. Um, they've got the versatility on this defense, and they've got the athletes to make it work. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's you know, you, you kind of talk about recruiting and development. Well. They've got some, you know, some high four stars on this this defense. You got a, a former five star in uh, linebacker Brandon Smith, but you know, their Sam linebacker Curtis Jacobs. He was a guy who was a safety and a receiver in high school, and he's got that just that rangy ability that's hard to find. And so you've got all this versatility, and they also blitz a ton. I wrote a story about it last week. Um, their blitz percentages are pretty wild. I mean, it's like you've got to expect that they're going to be bringing pressure. Uh, because they're doing so on like, I want to say it was like 45, 46% of downs. Um, they're, they're bringing the heat. So that's like really made them effective. They've been tremendous in the red zone. Um, you know, you saw it against Wisconsin. That was the difference in the game. Mm-hmm. But the red zone defense yeah. has been really, really outstanding. And But the other part of it, too, of this turnaround, Mike Yersich coming in as a new offensive coordinator. They got rid of Kirk Shiraka after mm-hmm. just one season. And the whole thing was... Can Yursich remake and rebuild Sean Clifford? And it's been a hell of a job. I mean, it really has been been interesting to watch this take fold. I mean, you're seeing Sean Clifford now extending plays with his legs, but when he's on the move, he's looking to throw. He's not just putting his head down and running. And you know, it, it's really uh, paying off for this offense. And kind of the the troublesome area that I mentioned earlier is this run game and just trying to get that going a little bit. Uh, but really, yeah, I mean, you have Jahan Dotson. They're getting him involved a lot of ways. Yursich has really pushed the tempo. And, Scott, I feel like because Penn State has cycled through so many offensive coordinators during James Franklin's time here, it feels like right now that everything Franklin was promising Yursich that he was going to be and all these things, that it's coming true. And, that, you know, that hasn't always been the case here. You know, you promise tempo, you deliver on tempo. Um, and so it's really been, it's been quite a turnaround for sure. For sure, and and I remember last year there was a quarterback controversy with Will Levis. Uh, yeah, but you know before he became a you know sensation with the bananas and stuff. Uh, and, and he puts I saw this last week. Uh, Colton Pouncey, our colleague, said mayonnaise in his coffee. Like what is this? Yeah, I'm surprised. You know, it came down between Iowa and Penn State to begin with, and when, when he we decided to go with, and he went with Penn State. Now I'm like, yeah, that's uh, you know, and. and all three teams that you know that he considered are, are now uh, undefeated, including Kentucky, where he's at now. But but man yeah. is raw and mayonnaise in his coffee. I mean, I don't know where to begin with some of this stuff. But uh, yeah, that's uh, just just insane. I so I did see on Twitter he had his uh, offensive lineman to a steakhouse, and I was just really fearful to find out what he did to a steak. So yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll let that mystery live, Scott. Ketchup and mustard. I don't know. Ugh, uh, yeah, yikes. exactly. I think with with Sean Clifford uh, and having that controversy, there's a lot of things that can happen with quarterbacks. They could kind of go south or transfer, or they could rise up and, and play well. And he certainly has. I mean, complete 67% of his passes, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. He's a good runner, not a great runner. But, you know, I think one key for Iowa is probably to keep him a little bit in the pocket because if they get exposed on a lane, then he'll take it. And, you know, it's third and five. And, you know, that's what Iowa's quarterback doesn't do and, and really can't do unless it's, you know, a completely open field and that's take off with the ball and run. And um, 
you know, Ferentz said this week that Dotson's the best receiver that he's going to see all year. And and that's saying something considering the opener. He had Freifogel, who was the Big Ten yeah. defensive or uh, who was passing, you know, yeah, who was a non-factor last week. Yeah. I mean, Penn State really, really did a nice job. And Iowa did too in the opener. Yeah. Uh, and then week two against Iowa State, Xavier Hutchinson was a first-team All Big Twelve receiver. It was really a non-factor. Last week, uh, Dante Demas, uh, unfortunate injury for him. He looked really good, and um, I thought he was a tremendous receiver. But Dodson's at a different level. He really, you know, went on and on and on about how good he was. Probably more than I've heard him talk about an individual player in a long time. So uh, he's he's definitely a threat. He's a guy that they're worried about um, on the back end and. And then, uh, you know, the running game is, is fascinating to me because I think both teams are very comparable in this. It's like, what, when are they going to get going? And Noah Kane, as we saw a couple of years ago at Kinnick, you know, had a great – he kind of became the guy in my eyes at that point because he had oh, yeah. that was Jerry the moment. Brown and, and yeah. a bunch of guys. And, you know, it's here, here's this freshman from IMG Academy um, who, you know, is, was playing a little bit and then has the breakout game and then gets hurt. And then you don't see him again until the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. And then – Opening drive last year at Indiana gets hurt, misses the whole season. And, you know, what is fascinating to me about this is there's so many comparable factors that both teams mm-hmm. have. They struggle in running the football. They do have kind of veteran quarterbacks. Offensive line has good players that you, you kind of want to see more from. Defense mm-hmm. have been great. The secondaries, I think Penn State's as athletic as secondary as there is in the country. Um, I really like Brisker. I think he is. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's this, probably the best one. Of you know, it's been going into this season. It was something that James Franklin had said a few times that he thought this was going to be their best secondary since he's been here. And, and I mean, it's proven to be true. And, and Jaquan Brisker is such a big reason for that. I mean, you kind of look at his path, goes to Lackawanna College in Scranton, comes into Penn State. And now you've got both of your starting safeties uh, are guys who were at Lackawanna who've, you know, stepped up. Jair Brown, the other safety. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's leading the team right now in interceptions. I mean, he's just looks like a center fielder back there at times. And you've got Joey Porter Jr. who's mm-hmm. playing really well. And Tariq Castro Fields right. is the other corner. I mean, it's, it is, I, I do agree that this is their, their best secondary since Franklin's been here. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think talent wise, they're probably a little bit beyond what Iowa does. Iowa uh, minimizes the talent factor mm-hmm. based on the way they play. And then, of course, their experience level. And in a lot of cases, they're very underrated, um, you know, position by position. I mean, Matt Hankins has started for five years. Um, you know, he came back <laughs> for, you know, the, the year. He, he started as a true freshman in 2017. That's wild. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Riley Moss started as a true freshman in 2018. And, and uh, you know, Kayvon Merriweather and, and – Jack Kerner were kind of battling in 19 and both of them had starts. And then Dane Belton has is, is also started since 19. So they've got a lot of experience. They've got probably two players on the bench who are as good as anybody on the lineup. So that if anybody gets dinged or they, you know, they're, they're not, it's not going to be a letdown where it might be in another position or two, but I really like the way these secondaries play. I think it, that will impact the game. If not, in interceptions, I think it will on play calling, and I think it will oh, yeah. on um, you know positional. I, I I can see both of these teams playing a little bit more risk averse than normal, which is you get to the plus fifty and it's third and five, yeah. third and six, and you're like, you know, instead of trying to attack the middle of the field, um, do you really want to do that, or do you want to just say let's 
let's see what we can get. You know, maybe throw the ball in the flat. And if we don't get the first down, it's no sin to punt. And I know fans are going to be like, eh, but, you know, that's you got to win the <laughs> game. Penn State's punter, Jordan Stout, yeah. uh, he's been remarkable. I mean, he was Ray Guy punter of the week mm-hmm. this week, which is, I mean, I feel like that's what you got to have going into Penn State, Iowa. I mean, we, we've got to talk about the punters, right? Like that's, <laughs> it's it's a must. Both of them are fantastic. I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Stout was the punter of the week. And, and uh, you know, Tory Taylor has been an absolute weapon for this team. And, uh, and they have the coverage to match. So they – uh, he was Big Ten punter of the year last year as a true freshman, although he's 24 years old, so he's from Australia. <laughs> uh, so I, I think he probably leaves after this year and goes to the NFL. But, uh, yeah, field position is going to be – yeah, out of those – to me, in a game like this, you've got kind of what they are, and then you also have the factors that always figure in, which are turnovers and mm-hmm. penalties and injuries. Those are things you can't really rely on, so you just kind of move those over here. But field position is going to play such a pivotal role, and and it has in the past. I remember uh, the the 2017 game, which I think is one of the most entertaining games I've ever seen. And it was in Iowa City, yeah. and last yeah. play yeah. of the game, the Jawan Johnson game, yeah, yeah. and uh, for the first half or so. Iowa couldn't, I mean, they had a safety because they were just backed up constantly. And then, then boom, they score a touchdown at the end of the half and Josie Jewell intercepts uh, Trace McSorley on a tip. And, and uh, then it kind of goes back and forth, but uh, field position played a huge role in that game. And um, so I, I don't know. And, and when we talk about history, Nobody in Iowa, nobody in Pennsylvania will sit there and go, that's our number one rival or anything like that. You know, I can't wait to yeah. win this trophy. But there are a lot of, I won't say garbage trophies, but there are a lot of just trinkets. We've seen the Land Grant Trophy, Scott. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> We've seen that a few times, yeah. Yeah, and the governor's victory bell against Minnesota. I mean, if, is there a more useless trophy than that? I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, this one, it's just been, it's been entertaining. I mean, I remember the Adrian Claiborne blocked mm-hmm. punt. Um, mm-hmm. I was a student at that point, and I just remember the feeling in the stadium where it was just like this big deflation and mm-hmm. like it was just dejection and it was a downpour and people were like super, super miserable. Um, but yeah, the, the game you referenced, the Jawan Johnson game, what I remember from that is I remember being down on the field because, you know, last play of the game. Yeah. Sideline access, and I remember being right there alongside Penn State's bench and taking video of it. And like you know, the crowd is just stunned. I still have seen the replay probably a hundred times, and like I still don't know how McSorley fit that ball in that tight of a window. And mm-hmm. Deshaun Hamilton's coming across the back, and looks like he thinks the ball's for him. Um, but what I remember is Saquon Barkley going up to the fans behind him, and I'm thinking, oh, what is going to happen here? Like I've got you know my phone video yeah. rolling. And he like went up to him and thanked them because they were chirping at him all game. Yeah. And he loved that. And like, I asked him about it afterward. And he's like, yeah, I saw the video. You caught me. Like <laughs> I was, you know, like he was just really enjoying it because it's such a special atmosphere. I love Kinnick stadium and the way the fans are right on top of the sideline. Like it's just, it's so great. And these games have lived up to the hype that, you know, when the schedule came out, Scott, that's one of those road trips that I'm like, this is going to be awesome because mm-hmm. it, it just always seems to live up to it. Um, but yeah, just tremendous games. And I think we're probably going to be spoiled again Saturday, I think. I hope. Watch, We're going to talk all of this and something crazy is going to happen. I mean, Penn State, James Franklin mentioned it, which I think is a good point while we were talking about punters. 
Penn State is going to be preparing for all kinds of trick plays mm-hmm. on special teams because we've seen Iowa yeah. use quite a few of those over the years. They burned Penn State with the, the same play twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and James Franklin said they went back this week, and uh, he claims they found every trick play Iowa has ever run, <laughs> and that, <laughs> that they're going to spend time with that this week. So, uh, yeah, that's you got to kind of be ready for anything. But when you have two defenses that are this good, um, you might be right about that, that risk averse because Penn State against Auburn, um, they were willing to take those gambles because of their defense. But again, that that was Auburn. That's it's a little yeah. different. Right. Yeah. And, and Bo Nix is an interesting quarterback. Spencer yeah. Petrus is too, but uh, they're different styles, of course. I, I, I just, you know, in, in thinking back to all the games between these teams and and, uh, you know, it really parallels Ference coming into the league. He's from Pittsburgh. His brother-in-law played at, Pets, at Penn State. His father-in-law was great friends with Joe Paterno. There was rumors seemingly for a generation <laughs> he was going to replace Paterno. And, you know, and he never did. He, yeah. he wanted to stay at Iowa. And, uh, but there are there was just been I mean, the six to four games legendary for the score. Yeah. <laughs> um, I hope it does. Uh, Iconic, yeah. Yeah, I kind of hope it stays. There's no six to four on Saturday. I mean, I'd like to see yeah. at least a few big offensive plays. But but every play was like each team was like hanging on the edge of their uh, you know of, of a mountain, <laughs> trying to stay afloat <laughs> before everything falls apart. Um, you know, in 08, I was there when um, you know Penn State was not, and I don't know, ranked third in the country, had a chance, should have went on to the. Excuse me. Sorry. See, he's, got, he's allergic. He starts talking six four, and he starts sneezing. I know six four. I'm, I'm allergic to you know sixteen fourteen works for me, but six four. <laughs> yeah. But um, but you know, Penn State was nine and zero, ranked third in the country, and was really ready to um, take that step and become go to the BCS title game, and then Iowa uh, just kept punching and won on the last you know play of the game, and and then. Then you, we'll talk about the 17 game. And then there's been, you know, a couple of painful ones for Iowa, too. And mm-hmm. at 18 in Penn State, I mean, they're up. They had two safeties. There's, yes. a, there's a, you know, yeah. two safeties in the first quarter, I would say. Um, and at the end of the game, you know, Penn State swings it completely the other way, takes the lead by like 10 points. And then Iowa scores, gets down to the third three-yard line with like three minutes to go. And you and when we're watching the tape, you've got um, Noah Fant, who's an outstanding mm-hmm. tight end in the slot, and you have a receiver to his left. They're both looking at each other, kind of like, "What's going on? What's going on?" And Iowa has three timeouts. Call timeout. Nobody yeah. knows what's going on. So they play, called the play. Noah Fant standing there at the snap, and then there's an interception. The, the Nick Scott pick. Yes. Yeah, I, I was standing right there in the end zone because um, again, we we had field access. Mm-hmm. It was late in the game. And I remember taking a video of that particular play as it unfolded, and you're yeah. just like, oh, my gosh, here's another. Mm-hmm. And that one probably goes under the radar, too, yeah. Scott, because everybody was so spoiled um, by the year before with the Jawan Johnson play. But, yeah, that, that ending was wild, too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then, as you mentioned, Noah Kane two years ago uh, kind of came of age, and, and there was a great catch from an Iowa receiver, Brandon Smith, at, you know, late in the game that turned it almost into a – uh, you know, come back. And, and then last year was, was kind of the anomaly in the other way, in mm-hmm. some ways like 2016, which I, I've i never seen a better called game by an opponent than 2016 with Joe Moorhead. Yeah. He knew the pressure points for Iowa, uh, the weaknesses. And that was weak side linebacker and strong safety. And he just 
completely rocked it. Um, yeah. <laughs> they, I mean, <laughs> almost 600 yards. It was just incredible to watch. Just he knew exactly where to attack on every play. And then you had a quarterback and a running back and receivers who could execute it. So it's just been a phenomenal series. And it's unfortunate it cycles off in some ways yeah. just because uh, we're kind of robbed of these great games. Because even if, hey, you finally get to, you know, got to go to Camp Randall this year. But and I finally yeah. got to go to Maryland. But <laughs> was, was it everything you hoped it'd be in Morscott? Did they have still have the Chick Fil A in the press box? They did. Yes. Okay, because yeah. I've got to look forward to that next month. So I was kind of disappointed though that they only had they didn't have any diet pop, and I'm like, you know, I'm diabetic. I diet pop. Yeah. That's a you know, pop. Have, yeah. Oh, sorry. Soda. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Geographical differences. Here we there you are. Go. Yes. 800 miles means a lot when it comes to the <laughs> beverage market. But uh, um, when what do you when you see Penn State running, what's been the difficulty and, and what what does what can they do against a team that's obviously pretty good against the run? I mean, you know, they're allowing mm-hmm. what, you know, two point five yards per carry or less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to, to quote James Franklin, it's a combination of things, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so. They wanted to go into this season to have three running backs to, to work through this rotation, which has been their thing for a few years. So, mm-hmm. like, that part really wasn't abnormal. Uh, but then you look at it, and Noah Kane never really got going. And then against the Villanova game, he had one carry and was on the sideline. And it was kind of like, okay, is he hurt? Is he? Are they just resting him because it's Villanova? And James Franklin acknowledged after the game that Kane was trying to work through something that he'd been banged up in practice that week. So we go to practice last week. Kane is practicing. Watch him go through warm-ups. The broadcast says it was a game-time decision. He gets the green light, and he just looked hobbled. I mean, there was a play that, that I cut up in my upon further review piece for Monday on The Athletic where, I mean, he's just, like, jogging back toward the line of scrimmage, and he just looks uncomfortable. And so you're thinking, all right, you know, is this your best option when he noticeably looks hobbled? And I asked James Franklin about it yesterday, and he said that, you know, Noah's trying to work through something, but at this point in the year, everybody's banged up and whatnot. Um, so I'm curious what they do with this rotation, because you have Kevon Lee, who's become the number two back, but then he had a fumbling issue. So then you got John Lovett, who's the Baylor grad transfer who we found out was unavailable for the first two games. So it's really, it's been a mix of things. And of course, the offensive line, there have been good moments. There have been some not good moments. Um, left guard was this, the, the point coming into this year where they needed somebody to step up. And they've got Harvard grad transfer Eric Wilson, who's become the starter after not being the guy week one at Wisconsin. So it's really, it's been interesting Um just because that was the one area where coming into the year, I would say, yeah, Penn State's running backs, deepest position group on the team, and they just haven't lived up to it so far. And, I mean, you've got Devin Ford in there as well, who mm. hasn't been much of a factor. I mean, they, they've used him in some two-back stuff. He, he's a kick returner as well. But, yeah, it's not – Kane just has not looked right the last couple weeks. And to me, that's going to be something still – you know, we'll go to practice tonight. We'll see what we can see in, in warm-ups and individual drills. But I still think it's going to be something to keep an eye on in warm-ups because he just he didn't look right last week. Mm, that's interesting. You know, and, and on the other side for, for Iowa when it comes to the running game, it's it's a little bit perplexing because they do have 
pretty good running backs. I mean, Tyler mm-hmm. Goodson, um, you know, had 80 plus yards, you know, running and pass, uh, receiving last week. First team all Big Ten running back last year. Um, I think he ended up with third in, in rushing yards, and that was only because Iowa didn't get a chance to play in a bowl game when Mizzou, Mizzou backed out. But, uh, you know, he's he's really a very good player. And Ivory Kelly Mark behind him has been a nice player. He had a couple fumbles in a game, and he got sat down. But they were really hard hits. They weren't because he was holding the ball out or doing anything stupid. So he's back, and, and they both have a really nice one-two punch. And then up front, Tyler Linderbaum's still the best center in the country, but yes. they've had a lot of really weird pieces, um, a lot of a lot of moving parts uh, at tackle. They're starting to get settled down there, but uh, they still have some work to do. And they've had some injuries at guard, and they've been moving guys around. They, they had a, they've had a true freshman start the last two weeks. He's going to be really good, but today, you know, he's got a lot of work to do. And and then their fifth year senior who started is you know broke his foot bailing hay. <laughs> right that sounds camp. like the most Iowa injury possible, Scott. Yeah, he's a small town farm kid and was bailing hay and jumped off the the, the machine and <laughs> broke his foot. <laughs> that's, that is that's incredible, and I, I'm glad that you mentioned the center because that is one matchup that James Franklin highlighted on Tuesday. And Penn State defensive tackle PJ Mustafer has been playing really, really well this year. Um, I mean, it's to me like if. If fans who are, if they're listening to this, Scott, I think our, our legends and listeners are hardcore <laughs> football fans. Um, if you want to watch a battle in the trenches, that's going to be it. Because PJ Mustafer has really been playing well too, so that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I think these two te- these two players may be going against each other quite a bit in the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. And and Iowa's had some great centers over the years. Uh, the last three multi year centers are still in NFL and still on NFL rosters, and that's going back ten plus years. Uh, Linderbaum's clearly the best out of them. It's not really close, and that's saying a lot. James Daniels was really good. He's a starter with the Bears. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, James Ferentz, <laughs> Kirk's yeah. son, is, is still on the Patriots roster, and, and Austin Blythe with the Chiefs. So, but he's the best, and he can do things that he's not really bulky necessarily. He's about a 290 pound center, but nobody can do the reach blocks he can. Nobody can execute the zone. And then, of course, when he, um, gets to people he doesn't just merely block them he tries to put them into the ground so it's it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty fun to watch but um the passing game for Penn State um I think I think this is where it it I'm not saying this is exactly where the game is going to be won or lost for either team but I think this is where um you could see kind of the the plus 10 minus 10 scale a yes. little bit which is um Penn State has the ability to get down the field no question and Dotson is a is good or better receiver than is there is in the league. And there are a lot of good ones, but of course, Iowa has been adept at taking the ball away. Um, what, what do you see? What has been the, the key in this passing attack and, and uh, you know, what does Penn state need to do there? Yeah, I think it's, it's been part of, it's been the creativity with Mike Yersich where it seems like every week you're seeing something new or different. I mean, We'll see him come out there sometimes with three tight ends. They've gone to this wildcat package in the goal line. We've seen a lot of two-back stuff. Um, I mean, it's just really creative, and it's honestly, it's fun to watch, Scott. And maybe it's just because last year was so bad to watch this offense (laughs) that now you're just like, oh, cool, this is great. You're just not running 8 million fades a game. Um, (laughs) But I think part of the success of the passing game is that they do have the depth in the receiving core. You've got Parker Washington as your number two mm-hmm. receiver. Keandre Lambert-Smith as your number three. And you've got three really good tight ends, which is kind of the, the interesting part because you look at Penn State and last year 
you know, you lose Pat Fryermuth partway through the season and you've got Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson who have to come in and, and step up. And that experience for those two tight ends was huge. And I remember writing it last year and I kept saying, well, you know what, it's pretty much a lost season at, at 0-5, but maybe this is a silver lining that you're going to find out right away what you've got in these two tight ends. And Theo Johnson was a four-star kid. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And, and so, I mean, you're getting these guys that, yes, yeah, yeah, you, you remember that name. Yes, I remember yeah. that And, and so uh, all the fans behind uh, the Penn State match. Yeah, I was, that's, uh, I'll have to look out for that now, Scott. That's going to be a fun wrinkle. I forgot about that. Because, yeah, I mean, Michigan was very much uh, wanting Theo Johnson, too. And it was um, a really fascinating recruitment. And the thing is, you know, you've got these tight ends and you're not shying away from using them. Um, But it's also, I mean, it's the creativity and it's Sean Clifford playing a heck of a lot better. And you mentioned the completion percentage, uh, his completion percentage through five games is higher than it was last year and higher than it was in 2019. I mean, he's taking the check down, which mm-hmm. might sound kind of crazy, but it's like, this is what, you know, this is what they want you to do. And it's kind of, you know, there's always that game manager connotation and that's what they want him to do. And he's doing it and they're winning games. I mean, I think this is last year. It was so much of Clifford trying to force the ball and pressing to make plays and, that's what you're seeing this year. You're seeing the opposite of that. Um, so yeah, their, their passing game is really good. And I'm just curious what they do with Jahan Dotson because, I mean, Penn State will get him involved in speed sweeps. We've seen Jahan Dotson throw two passes this year, mm. uh, which has been another kind of fun, creative wrinkle. And then, you know, down around the goal line, we've seen the Wildcat package with Tyler Warren, their, their number three tight end. Uh, who was a high school quarterback. So you've got the guy, you know, to, to do it. So to me, that's kind of the exciting part about it. But Scott, what did, what should Penn State fans be looking for from Iowa's offense? Because it's play action, play action, play action, right? Well, that's what it was last week. Yeah. That's not what, I mean, that's what they would like to do, of course. But um, Maryland played right into that. Mm-hmm. I mean, their, their defensive end crashed every time. And, and it's like, okay, well, let's just boot every time. Yeah. And tight end in the flat. Okay, there's 10, 12 yards, and they were happy to take it. And so, yes, play action works. You've got to run the football to make it work, um, and uh, that's the the problem for them right now. I mean, their running game is on the same level as Penn State's. It's like, get going. And and the zone blocking scheme, one guy misses his block, doesn't you know, falls down, trips, gets beat, whatever. Um, it, it can doom the play and doom it quite easily. Um, and I think in the, in the passing game, though, this is what's kind of fascinating because Iowa has a couple of tight ends of their own that are really ascending. I mean, they're not quite Fanton Hawkinson yet, uh, but they are um, they are improving rapidly. Uh, Sam Laporta leads the has more catches per game than any of the tight ends have had in, in the Ferentz era. Wow. And you look at uh, his, the number two, and they run 12 personnel all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Lachey, his dad's Jim Lachey, uh, you know, former All-American at Ohio State, NFL all-pro and uh, tackle, and um, he's bulked up now. He's 6'6", 250. He came in at like 6'6", 210. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, he's had some pancake blocks. He's he's really athletic. So and probably a lot of pancakes to get to that weight. Yeah, he's had to have yeah. a lot. And I think COVID probably helped helped him gain weight like it did me. Unfortunately, we're uh, <laughs> body tight. Uh, <laughs> 
the passing game has been interesting this year because the first couple of games, and this was discussed a lot with, with Iowa, that Petrus didn't have to do a lot. He didn't do a lot. And it frustrated a lot of fans, especially. And you're kind of wondering, okay, what is this? But in looking at those two games against those teams in that point in time, both of those teams were, well, they ranked higher than Iowa. And yeah. at that point, when Iowa was turning them over, getting big leads, it's like, let's not do anything to let them back in the game. And if that means take the sack, throw the ball away, do it. And so his completion percentage was low. His productivity was kind of low, too. But when you're at Iowa State, which is a pressure cooker environment, especially for Iowa, oh, yeah. all you'd had, if you would have thrown an interception trying to force a ball somewhere, it would have changed the dynamic of that game in a heartbeat. So it made perfect sense. Now, the last two weeks, he stacked his best game on top of his last best game. And I think that's really important. Against Maryland, he's showing an ability to hit multiple targets at multiple levels, both in the okay. flat if he needs to. Um, you know, center of the field and then deep. And he's hit some really, had some really nice deep passes. I do am concerned though that, you know, what is he going to do against the secondary? Because the secondary is again, as talented as they'll come. I thought Indiana's was really good, but I think on film, I think Penn State's is better. And and so I do think that that's going to be a concern, but they've got two freshman wide receivers, Hegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce, who have really emerged as, two of the better receivers in that core. And and as they continue to grow, this passing game is going to continue to take steps forward and, and they're going to be difference makers and they have been the last two weeks. So I think uh, it, it's going to be, they're, they're certainly not dynamic, I would say. You know, a lot of people yeah. just classify them as, well, they're Iowa, <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> but, um, you know, when you do have an elite level defense that takes the ball away and a special teams that matches, sometimes the the better part of uh, dis- of discretion is just okay let's not screw it up let's just continue to play field position football let them make the mistake we know they will and um and take advantage of it when they have the opportunity takes place and i want to go back to something you said scott about uh, the point um with him making these throws but this being a good secondary um penn state also like i mentioned before how they're blitzing at one of the highest rates in the country but they also are doing a much better job disguising it. And that's kind of been the interesting part. I spent that uh, that week with Villanova a few weeks mm-hmm. ago with the, the Wildcats coaching staff. And it was really interesting sitting in on their film sessions. And the OC is just like, yeah, like we don't even know what this blitz is. Because um, it was kind of described to me as if you're spinning a wheel, it's like whatever the wheel lands on is what, what they're running. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's so crazy. Um, but that's kind of, that's what Penn State's doing, which... I don't know. I think from a from a game planning perspective, it kind of makes you wonder if you're Iowa and you say, OK, well, you're going to do all this. Like, what is Penn State's base defense if you're running all these blitzes? Right. Because mm-hmm. people game plan to try and beat that base defense where I feel like I was thinking is always like, hey, and James Franklin even mentioned it this week. He's like the, the smartest people take the most complex things and make them very simple. Yes. And that's the Iowa defense. And Franklin's like, yeah, I love it. And clearly it works. But like, you don't love it on Saturday, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's kind of the differences with, with these two defenses where you could say Penn State be like, well, all right, you're playing really well, but you're doing it in a little bit of a helter-skelter fashion with all these blitzes. Well, in some ways, and I think this is a credit to both programs, mm-hmm. is that they play the defenses that work to their recruiting base. Yes. The state recruits yep. at a higher level, so it's enabled players to play more athletically. 
Um, yes. Blitz more, one-on-one -on -one coverage, man coverage mm -hmm. if necessary. Do all those things. One-on-one -on -one matchups. Okay. You know, hey, if you got the players, do it. And you can be really successful. Iowa is a developmental program. They do get some high-level players. And and I would say at linebacker, they definitely have yeah. two, two of the best in the country. And Jack Campbell, who I think is the best in the country. And then and uh, you know, Justin Jacobs, who's up there. He's a four-star who... From Southwest Ohio, committed to Iowa, and then Ohio State came in with a late offer, and then still stuck with the Hawkeyes. So they they feel pretty good about that one. But <laughs> <laughs> got to take those wins when you can get yeah, them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Don't happen very often. But uh, but they play a very disciplined style. Quarters mm -hmm. coverage. Be where you're supposed to be. This uh, marker is in this coverage. You are here, and you're here always. And then you can take risks when you know what you're doing. But until then, you play this style, and and it's just kind of like a contraption in some ways. It's yeah. like you're here, and there's none, you know. And, you, and then they they have a pretty aggressive front, but it's it's usually a four man run, and 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 also what helps them is they don't stack the box. Very mm -hmm. rarely do they have eight men in the box, so they try to stop the run with two gap technique up front, and then let their linebackers run free to the ball and. Uh, Josie Jewell did a nice job of that in the past, yeah. <laughs> and, and Jack Campbell's better than he is. So it's it's uh, so they've been able to live with that. And but I, I think that's what's fascinating to me is when you have teams that you know Wisconsin and Iowa are kind of on one side where they're developmental programs and they play to a certain scheme and a style, and you know, they they you know take it to the nth level yeah. and do a great job with it. Whereas Penn State and probably Michigan are kind of a little more varied in that that they have great athletes, better athletes, better talent. But sometimes great talent doesn't always play disciplined, at least the way yeah. it does in Iowa. So I think that's, a, to me, a kind of a fascinating development between the two teams. But, hey, if you can play either style and do it effectively, do it. it and, yeah, it's clearly working for both of them. You know, it's just two totally different styles, but it's working right now. And um, and it's also kind of, I mean, Penn State fans, I don't know if spoiled is the right word, but I certainly was spoiled last week watching Micah McFadden. You know, you talk about good linebackers in this yes. conference, and you're like, oh my gosh, I mean, some of Penn State's short yardage issues, it was Micah McFadden blowing things up, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And so that's kind of, uh, that's that's going to be the thing. What does Penn State do on third and four or less? And they might throw the ball, Scott. I mean, yeah. that's kind of where where they're at, where, you know, you're having more success through the air, but... When everybody, you know, in the stadium knows that you're going to run the ball and you can't do it, that has to be concerning, especially when you're going to Iowa. Yeah, and and it's funny because you say that, and it's exactly the same thing here. Yeah, that that's the way they want to play. If they get in a four minute offense and they're up sixteen thirteen, and they get the ball at their thirty one after a punt, they want to be able to run the clock out. And I don't think they can. I don't think mm -hmm. they could against this defense, first of all, but just the way that they're playing, they haven't been able to prove that they're going to be able to get the first down by run, run, maybe play action pass for five yards, pick up the first down, and then run, run, do you know, and maybe get there. They, and I don't think either team can do that. And I think both <laughs> teams' defenses are too good to let it happen. So, I mean, this is, to me, it seems like it's going to be kind of a, it, you know, it, it sets up anyway as a low-scoring game where there's going to be three to four plays that really make the difference. And, and I think one could come in Penn State's passing game. I think yeah. a, a deep post-crossing route or something like that from from Dotson, 50 yards, could change the game. I think a, a turnover, obviously, on Iowa's end of things. And I think field position football really 
if you have a somebody shanks a punt, you know, somebody yeah. hits a 65 yarder, you know, things like that, I think really can can change the outcome of a game where things can be this close. Do you have a prediction, Scott? Are, are you there yet? <sighs> I, I'm Am I putting you on the spot? Yeah, a little bit. No, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to. I like. I like Iowa at home, but but not by mm-hmm. much. I think it's kind of one of these field goal games on paper to yeah. where, you know, I, I, I they the one thing that has somewhat impressed me about Iowa is that they don't turn the ball over. That that Spencer Petras has had one interception all year uh, since throwing three against Northwestern in week two last year. He's had three you know, in, in this 11 game win streak for Iowa. So he knows what to do with the ball. He's, you know, he is the a game manager and he's now he's making plays in the passing game. So I think if they do get in those situations, he's not going to make the big mistake. Whereas there I say, I've seen Clifford make the big mistake before, not so much this yeah. year, but in the past yeah. he has made the big mistake. Yeah. I, um, I've already filed my pick, Scott. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. and now my confidence level in the pick—that's a totally different story. <laughs> um, but I actually, which Penn State fans might—I don't know—they might be shocked to hear this. Um, but I'm actually picking Penn State 21, Iowa 20. Uh, okay. Again, I, I think Penn State's offense, what it's able to do, the big plays that it can make—I um, think that's going to be the difference maker. But mm-hmm. I, I also feel like Scott. It's going to be a good game. It's going to be a close game. Um, very high likelihood that I'm also wrong. That happens quite a bit. So, uh, I was I was wrong earlier this year with Iowa going to Iowa State. I thought that was this was Iowa State's mm-hmm. this was Iowa State's year to win this game, and and it really kind of bounced the other way. But anything's possible, as we know, in college football. And uh, you know, Penn State's won three straight at Kinnick, and that doesn't happen yeah. very often. So I don't anticipate them coming in with any kind of a Oh, you know, whoa, nervous. I mean, it, it's going to be loud. It's going to be abrasive, uh, but they have had success here. And, and you know, a lot of them, including Clifford, played two years ago when they won at night. And, you know, and I think this is also where, you know, going to Camp Randall week one, this is where it helps you. You know, mm-hmm. you've been in that hostile road environment already this year. Yeah, were the fans there, you know, before halftime, though, the students? You know what, Scott? I remember because we had talked about this before the game, and you were exactly right. It was a very late-arriving student crowd, and then once I walked outside the stadium pregame and saw beer bongs off of, like, rooftops, I I understood (laughs) why. I I absolutely understood why they were late-arriving. Yeah, well... While we're here, we should probably spin around the Big Ten and and look at Mm -hmm. Michigan dominating uh, Wisconsin. Um, That's something – it was a complete reversal of last year where Michigan could not have played worse and Wisconsin played its best game. So what do we make of this? What do we make of the Wolverines? Let's start there. And they play at Nebraska this week, which is fascinating. But, I mean, are the Wolverines for real? Are they a team that everybody should go, okay, this is Michigan's back? Or is it – yeah, but they've played, you know, Washington and Wisconsin mm-hmm. aren't very good, and they're kind of taking advantage of all of these teams. You know, I've been, the last few years, I've been in the Michigan's got to show me something crowd, the yeah. I'm tired of buying into the preseason hype and nothing happens crowd. Dare I say, Scott, I think this is for real. I think. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> watch the count and lay an egg this weekend to make me look like an idiot. But um, I, I just – I was actually able to watch a good portion of that game. Maybe that's like the one silver lining of Penn State having a night game so that you're actually able to watch some of these other games. And, yeah, this to me is 
this is a really good Michigan team. And, and I'm, you know, I'm always looking at it from the Penn State perspective. And it's like, huh, Penn State, you know, you think you're getting Michigan and Beaver Stadium later mm-hmm. in the year. Eh, you know, the game's been, been a bit of a letdown in the past. But I'm thinking now, this is another big game for Penn mm-hmm. State. And um, so I always look at it from that vantage point. But I think I'm buying in. But I'm also very skeptical still because – We've been down this road before, Scott, and mm, yes. I don't know. Are you? Uh, does it change your mind at all? Are you? Are you all in? I'm not all in, but okay. I, I, but I have changed my mind. I mean, you've I, got like one foot in the water, like more than dipping a toe in, or I'm like, you know, I'm like uh, putting my hand in the water and okay. it as opposed okay. to ignoring it. Um, you know, before the <laughs> season. Watching the way that team played last year, I was like, this team's yeah. dead team walking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they. The Wisconsin game was was just horrendous, and then um, you know finding you know, COVIDy ways of getting out of Ohio State and Iowa, and they would have lost those games by a combined hundred points, no question, last year. So, to Harbaugh's credit, he basically erased last year, and they're starting over, and they've played well. They've had some really good games and some good wins, and last week um, they took advantage of a lot of mistakes by Wisconsin, which is. Um, offensively challenged, to say the least. Yeah, um, their defense is good, good, but their defense just kind of broke at the end, I think. And uh, but you know, I also look at okay, the the Rutgers game kind of tells me something too. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm and I'm also kind of like, well, Rutgers is a much improved team. They play hard. They're going to give you your best shot. So sometimes those games happen too. So I look at Michigan as a minimum and an eight win team. So that that means yeah. they're a bowl team. They're they're a competitive team. Um, they're not what they were last year, but can they take the next step against good to very good teams, you know, Penn State and Ohio State? And then this weekend, which the anomaly that is Nebraska. <laughs> um, fighting Scott Frosts. Yeah. I mean, these two teams are <laughs> so much alike. It's kind of funny because they yeah. have such rich traditions. And you look at Nebraska and go, you know, hey, yeah. show, me, show me what's going on here. You know, tell, don't tell me, just show me. And they kind of have, um, you know, they looked so bad in the opener against Illinois and, <laughs> and uh, you know, then they played really hard and lost a close game at Oklahoma. All right. Give them credit. Michigan state. They should have won. It was a special teams error that, that cost them. And then um, last week they blow out Northwestern. Now I don't think this is a good Northwestern team. Still you won 56. You blow them out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So style points better. Yeah. I think this game is really intriguing to me. And this is one that when we get back from doing our interviews and we type and we'll kind of have our eye up on the screen going, yeah. oh, okay. Because <laughs> um, if Michigan wins, I think they'll earn it. And I think if Nebraska wins, it kind of says, okay, this is the one challenger in the West to Iowa. And uh, Iowa has to be cognizant of it and could actually set up an interesting Black Friday game, which we really yeah. haven't had many of. But. <laughs> well hey that's a that's penn state uh michigan state weekend this year yes that's that's land grant trophy game which in the past is sometimes it's been rutgers on that yeah. is kind of the not interesting thing so yeah there were some switcheroos there in the, the 17 schedule and then they decided to go back and because they're trying to figure out what should penn state who should penn state play I yeah. know, I who is their rival <laughs> yeah. do they yeah. have one you know yeah it's it's I mean, that whole thing 
Ohio State kind of is, but Ohio State already has Michigan. And, well, it's not Michigan because Michigan has Michigan State. It's not Michigan State because it's like, well, they're not really our rival. And Maryland it's not Rutgers, Rutgers and it's not Maryland, yeah. You know, that's kind of like, yeah, get out of here. You're the Heisman, you know, I'm the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a very weird setup. And that's kind of been the, the interesting thing for Penn State is everybody every year points to Ohio State, you know. And mm-hmm. obviously recent history backs that with, with these teams too, but – yeah, the, the rest of the way for the Nittany Lions, um, I'll put it this way, Scott. If Penn State gets a spot in the college football playoff, they will have earned it <laughs> with no this question. schedule. I mean, it is, it's it's just really crazy to see a schedule like this. Um, but hey, Saturday night, or I guess late afternoon, mm-hmm. um, I think we're going to be in for another classic, I think. Yeah, I agree, and I'm, I'm excited to see it. I think it's going to be a, a terrific game. Certainly, the atmosphere will be outstanding. There's no question. It, it can is it happen. a? Is it a? What are they? Is it just a it's, regular it's stripe a stripe. out? It's okay. A, it's a you know which they said they Penn tend State to do had Penn that. State. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they, they did it last week. Yeah. You know, Penn State. Well, Iowa started the, the stripe outs what in 2010 against okay. Penn State, and then they do it every year. So that and it seems like Penn State's always been the team because they usually play them at night and they like having that night aurora. Yeah. Well. This year, uh, they wanted this game at night in the worst way. Everybody did. The administration yeah. did. And Fox, you know, said, well, we'll give it to you. Three, we'll make it. Because we, we got to have our big noon kickoff. And, and of course, you know, Ohio State had an 11 o'clock kickoff. And they don't want to, you know, you don't want to go against Ohio State in ratings, even if yeah. you're the best game in the country. So <laughs> that's why uh, this one's I a thought, three. I thought they were just trying to be nice to us, Scott. I thought that was, you know. Little, yeah, little concern for the the beat writers. So that way you don't have one of your uh, six a.m. flights after <laughs> leaving the hotel or uh, uh, leaving yeah, the, the, at the, one the Eastern two. Iowa airport. I don't think I've ever seen it after a night's sleep. So this could be a first for me. Yeah, they they've done some new work. I was a little surprised. It's really the other last week was the first week I'd been there, and uh, since uh, COVID and the remodel, and I'm like, wow, okay, this is different. I uh, I. I'm, I still know where I'm going. It's not that hard to find, but <laughs> it's, is there um, this? Uh, you would you would know this from from Cedar Rapids to Iowa City. One of the Penn State beat writers was telling me that he's a little worried. There's some construction or something. Is this a thing? Yeah, um, there is, but it's more in the interchange between I-80 and I and I-380. So it it really won't impact you. Okay. Um, well, that's all that matters, Scott. As, as long as it doesn't impact me, we're fine. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's that's what it always comes down to. Yeah, and that's yeah. The, that's the only important thing. That's why good. There's no call, traffic concerns. Yeah, they should call us for kickoff times, mm-hmm. and things like that. So, we the media, <laughs> the evil media. No, so. Well, this has been fun. I look forward to seeing you this weekend, and uh, and we wanted to, as always, wanted to thank you, our legends and listeners for spending some time with us and adding us to your podcasting rotation. Please subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars just like Ari's favorite uh, top prospects or three stars like what I was doing to win the game. So for Audrey Snyder, this is Scott Dockerman. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.